Hi everyone. Kiftum Jamian, inshallah bkhair. I'm so excited about my life today. It's with Dr. Charles Galanis. Uh, it's a really exciting topic for all of you that are actually mothers or just looking for some change. فاختصار اليوم اللقاء هيكون مع دكتور تشارلز جالانس من أهم الدكاترة في لوس أنجلوس. اليوم الموضوع كله هيكون عن الجسم. هو اختصاصه تامي تاك مامي ميك اوفر شفط دهون فعلا فعلا ما تتخيلوا قديش عنده معلومات كثيرة عن هذا الموضوع هيتكلم عن طرق مختلفة لشفط الدهون تكبير الصدر نحت الجسم بطريقة مختلفة ultrasound radio frequency أنا كثير أحب أخلي هذه الصفحة صفحة أنه كلنا نتعلم منها وأغلب الدكاترة اللي أنا أجيبهم من النوع مواعيدهم جدا جدا صعبة فحتى لما مثلا انت بتروحي لهذا الدكتور الى ما تلاقي موعد معي يمكن ياخذك سنه ولما يكون عندك الموعد يكون عندك نص ساعه نتقابلي فانا بعطيكم ساعه انكم تتعرفوا على كل طبيب على هذه المنصه وتسالوهم الاسئله اللي في بالكم بدي الطريقه تقدروا تعرفوا كيف نظره الطبيب ايش ايش فكرته على امور معينه هيز بيليفز تحسوا اذا في توافق بينكم كاشخاص يعني احيانا دائما اقول لما تنقي الطبيب لازم يكون في كيمستري بينك وبينه، لازم يكون في اتفاقية يعني مو اتفاقية، يو هاف تو هاف ان الاينمنت، تكونوا عندكم نفس النظرة ونفس الفيوز. فأتمنى تكون تعجبكم المقابلة. هاي دكتور، هاو ار يو؟ هلو، جود مورنينغ، هاو ار يو؟ أي جيس جود مورنينغ فور مي، جود ايفنينغ فور يو. إتس اكشلي جود ايفنينغ فور أس، أي واز اكشلي جست تيلينغ ماي فولورز إن أرابيك مور أباوت يو، أند ثانك يو سو ماتش فور جيفينغ مي ذا تايم تو بي أون ماي بلاتفورم، أونستلي. Oh, of course. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm sorry I was running a little bit late. It was my Not at all. Today. You know, Americans are always on time, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I said so I, I know how you guys are. Arabs are always late. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because when, when I go to Dubai, I see the difference in how time is sort of relative. It's kind of like, yeah, this is the time we're going to start. Like 6 is like 6.15 or 6.30. 30 right, minutes right. today is like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're very, we're very uh, relaxed. Hope you're well. How's the, how are things in LA? Things are okay. I mean, it's um, you know, the the weather's always the same. So the weather is the best part of LA. It always is. Um, we're you know we're kind of still making our way through kind of COVID regulations and and kind of getting back to a trying to get back to a normal society. But overall, it's fine. LA is still the same, more or less. Amazing. I studied in Boston, so I'm more of an East Coaster. I was in Simmons College. I did my bachelor's and my master's there. So oh, wow. I, lived, okay. um, I lived in Fenway Park in the beginning and then I moved to Cambridge. Um, right my, next uh, to my, yeah, my sister went to college in Boston. She was at Wellesley oh. and her, her husband is from Boston. So I, oh, I, I love Boston. Yeah, this is a this is the best time of year to be in Boston. October. Oh my god, I miss it so much. I miss the states. Like you know, honestly, we uh, we've had a travel ban for a year in Saudi Arabia, and oh, wow. now that the travel ban's open, I'm uh, I'm actually 35 weeks pregnant, so I can't go anywhere. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm stuck. Well, <laughs> but, well uh, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're, I would never have guessed. That's amazing. Oh my god, trust me, you should see the bottom part. <laughs> That's why <laughs> I'm loving these lives, and all my friends it's are going to. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. so and yeah, a lot of um, women, I think, during COVID got pregnant and had kids with this, the pandemic. So as you know, everybody's thinking right now how they're going to get nipped and tucked. So you're the perfect person yeah. to have on the slide. Right. Um, 
uh, you have such great achievements. First of all, you, I know you got your, I know you're originally from Milwaukee. Yes. You studied in Wisconsin. Um, yes. You know, and then mm -hmm. you did your residency in John Hopkins, right? Yes. So I did my general surgery training there. So in the United States, there's different ways. There's the older way to become a plastic surgeon was you did a full training in what's called general surgery or ENT surgery. And then you did a full training in plastics. They have a little bit of a faster way of doing it now. I wish I had kind of known, you know, been more privy to that before. But so I did my general surgery at Johns Hopkins, and then I did my plastic surgery in LA at UCLA. Um, and I also did a micro you did, fellowship. You did microsurgical, uh, microsurgical, uh, your fellowship in microsurgical reconstruction, right? Yes, yes. So basically, what that is is. Um, the most common application is for breast reconstruction, and it's when we actually physically remove, it's almost like doing a tummy tuck, but when we take the skin and fat out, we leave it attached to its blood vessels, and we reconnect it to blood vessels in the chest. It's about a, it's a long operation, but you have to, these blood vessels are about two millimeters in diameter, so you're, you're doing this under the microscope, so that's why it's called microsurgery. So there's a lot of reconstruction, and when I was first in practice, most of what I did was reconstruction, a lot of breast reconstruction the first two years, two, three years. And then it sort of migrated to where it is now, which is almost exclusively cosmetic. But but most of what I see and do is breast and body surgery. Most of my patients are moms. That's kind so of you the, started the by the way surgery. with face and neck as well, right? You started with face yeah. and neck. Yeah. And I still what do. And I still do some. It, it was kind of you know it was sort of a natural transition because a lot of the reconstruction I was doing was also was a lot of it was breast. So the, it sort of naturally moved that a lot of my cosmetic became breast. And then, so most of my patients were young females, and a, a lot of young females, the most common things they're looking for, yeah. at least in the States, liposuction, tummy tucks, breast, breast augmentation, breast lift. So it kind of migrated into that. And then the other thing that changed things for me, you know, I maybe jumping ahead a little bit on you, but I spent time down in Colombia and South America training. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Way. Yeah, um, it, it was. I've been told uh, that you you basically said studied under a doctor called Alfredo Hoyos. I've been doing my yes. research on him, uh, yes. and I've been told that basically that South America has a totally different way in in how they shape the body and contour the body, and that the best doctors that shape are are usually in Colombia. So this is yes. why I got so excited when I started reading this because apparently, uh, you see how some of course there's some that are very drastic that is not right. something I everybody wants to get but uh, right. i like that you actually went there because you so tell me why did you decide to go to this doctor specifically and so it's kind of an uncomfortable it's kind of an uncomfortable truth that i tell people but the training for liposuction in the united states is, i don't think is very good i think the the training that we get here in the states and other things is outstanding but i think liposuction has been one of those things the dogma hasn't changed in 30 years a lot of the teachings are very similar they haven't evolved and it's funny when i was you know, when I was, social media first kind of started to get big a few years ago, and I was noticing all these crazy results coming from South America. And I was like, what in the world are they doing? It was just like, it was so drastic and so dramatic. And so when I kind of dug into it a little bit, I sort of realized that they had just been innovating a different approach. And it's not just, some of it is how they use the technologies, but also it's just how you do the liposuction, what cannulas you pick, how you use your hands, what pressures, and so on and so forth. And so I, I went down there and I worked in Bogota with Hoyos and, and it, it completely changed my approach. And, and the reality is I wasn't really happy with my liposuction results. Wow. But prior to that, you know, I just wasn't. And I knew, but it was something a lot of my patients wanted. And so I was like, I got to be able to do this better. And, and, it, and then what I realized is it doesn't just apply to liposuction. It also applied to tummy tucks and any kind of body sort of procedure. You know, the human body is three-dimensional. 
And a lot of the results that you were seeing that weren't that great, whether it was a tummy tuck or lipo, they kind of ruined a lot of that three-dimensional nature to the body. And that, that tells the eye, when the eye sees that, it says something's not right, this isn't, this isn't natural, something is artificial here. So the whole point was to try to mimic as best we can natural results. You know, I tell people the worst kind of marketing is trying to create a result that no one knows that was there. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do is create a result where someone just looks very fit and just that they've accomplished this without an operating room. So that's kind of what took me to Columbia and it completely changed everything for me in terms of my approach. And then I kind of decided around that time, you know, the, the bigger procedures were the mommy makeover procedures. Mm-hmm. And I really love those surgeries, and it was fun. And, I, and I, those patients are seeing the results, patients. honestly. And uh, it's just amazing looking at your results. The way that oh, thank you. I'm going to give a lot of women a lot of confidence. You know, a lot of women think that plastic surgeons only just are there to just change the way a woman looks, but I think it actually gives women a lot of confidence. It changes their perception about loving themselves. Uh, to me, I think. Um, a lot of people think that women do plastic surgery just because they want to appeal to someone, um, to, to appeal to people. On the, on the right. other hand, I feel it's really just to make yourself happy. A hundred percent. No, I mean, I, listen, I have this conversation with people all the time. Plastic surgery is one of the most misunderstood fields, certainly in medicine, if not overall. And it, the, 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 the idea that, the plastic, that plastic surgery is about beauty is a big misconception. It's not a beauty business. It's not a beauty industry. It's a confidence business. When you do things for other people, when you're doing, if you're doing something to make someone else happy, that's what vanity is. What this is, is people doing something that they want for themselves. And it, it has nothing to do with what they need. You know, it always amazes me when I see people, oh, that person didn't need that. Of course they didn't. None, no one needs anything that I do. It's not about a need. It's what they want for themselves. And most of my patients are not, you know, I know I'm in Beverly Hills and you would think it's this very vain kind of, you know, people coming in like this. <laughs> It's not, and most of my patients are very, you know, very confident, self-assured. A lot of them are professionals. Um, it's just something that's holding them back. Maybe they don't feel as confident wearing certain clothing. And, and one of the reasons I love the mommy makeover cases is a lot of the changes that have happened to the woman's body, it, there's nothing they can do about it in the gym or with diet. And so it's almost like a reconstructive procedure in a way. They're just trying to reclaim their own body back. You know, and it was kind of more or less taken from them because of pregnancy or because of those changes that come about from pregnancy. Before we get into the mommy makeover, I have a lot of questions about that. Uh, do, sure. do, you, do you think the procedure, like I've been noticing that there are a lot of Brazilians that have very nicely done uh, butt lifts and the, the way they shape the body in South America is very different. Than the this is is yeah. this the procedure like uh, you do the 4D, uh, this is the thing I wanted to ask you about. You do the 4D yeah. uh, liposuction, lipo. This is the thing mm-hmm. you're very known for. Mm-hmm. Body contouring for the whole body. Is this right. part of the procedure you do for like women that, for example, don't need a full tummy tuck? Is this part of the whole thing you can do with the stomach and the whole body? Or tell me more about that. It's a good that. question. So, so yes, the answer is you can do it. It's, a, it's not a one particular surgery for one patient. So the, the beauty of the, of the technique is that it's very adaptable to different bodies and different goals. Some, for example, some women who are coming in who maybe need a tummy tuck or would be better sort of the tummy tuck, you can still do some HD or some defining lipo. You can still contour the waist and the hips and the butt. Um, many women who don't need a tummy tuck still do the same thing. There's still things you can do to shape it. So it, it really depends on kind of what their starting point is, what the best procedure is. But in all of them, no matter what the procedure is, I'm almost always doing lipo for the sake of contouring and create that that result. Now, to your point, not everyone is looking to be really carved out and really sort of six-packy and, and two-defined. Yeah. So 
there's there's a reason you know for women it's actually very you can you can customize it a little bit some people want to be a little bit more carved out some people want a little bit more softer features maybe they're more interested in the shape rather than contour so you can kind of adapt it to what someone's goals are for sure it's not just sort of one surgery you know for everyone yeah and you said in one of your interviews that liposuction does not tighten the skin and that people should know right. that liposuction is just fat removal and right. you use radio frequency after to tighten the skin. Does this work with mild cases of, of for example, like instead of a, if a woman had kids, but her the skin doesn't really need that much tightening? Does that really work for women that have mild uh, cases? It of can. Skin? Yeah, it can. So I mean, it's certainly an exam. I really need to do an exam to kind of make an assessment. And in some cases, what I'll tell patients is, listen, we can tr let's try to do this with. We'll do liposuction, we'll use Vaser, we'll use Renuvion. And in some cases, you know, if we do the exam, I'll say, I think you'll be fine and get away with it. You can still have the tummy tuck in your back pocket later if you need to. Let's say the skin is kind of loose, but you think you can get away with it. Do the procedure. You, it, let's say that everything looks great, but the skin's still loose. They can still do a tummy tuck six months or 12 months later if necessary. So there is this gray area where sometimes you'll get enough skin tightening from the technologies we have. And to back up a second, you know, anytime you do lipo, some of the skin will tighten with liposuction because, and that's just the, nat the skin's natural tendency to tighten down. You know, when you do a rhinoplasty, you don't cut any of the skin away. You just change the framework underneath and the skin tightens down over the new nose. It's the same way in the body. When you do liposuction, you're getting aware of what's underneath and the skin will tighten down to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, so there's always some degree of skin tightening just with lipo. But when people come in and they already have a fair bit of loose skin, that's where it becomes tricky. We have to know when to when to bite the bullet, so to speak, and, and do a procedure where you're cutting. Another question I'm going to ask you, uh, a lot of doctors say that lipo, one of the main, main things is the quality of the skin of the patient. Mm -hmm. um, some, some women have developed a lot of cellulite after lipo. Yeah. I don't know. That, like, I've noticed this in the Middle East. Like, many women do lipo, and then suddenly the whole area is like bumpy. Yeah, and, it's, called, it's called fibrosis. So um, it's... It, this is, if I'm, if I'm being honest, usually that's a hallmark of either improper technique or over-resection in certain areas and under-resection in some other areas. That's usually not a skin issue per se, it's more of a technique issue. Um, if you go too superficial or too aggressive in certain areas, if you don't have a good post-op protocol, which is really important, there's certain important things you need to do after your surgery. It's possible to get that kind of lumpy looking abdomen. Um, but if you do the procedure the right way, I think, and if you do the post-op protocols the right way, the likelihood of that is very low. It's still possible, but it's really low. Okay. Another thing regarding vaser liposuction. Tell us more about yeah. that. Does everyone have it, or it's, it's a new thing, or not everyone has it? Vaser's been around for 20 years. It's been around for a long time. Oh. Um, and all it is, you know, it's not, it, all it is is, a, is an ultrasound probe, basically. So the steps of the procedure are you put a bunch of fluid underneath the skin, and the fluid has adrenaline in it to make the blood vessels small so you don't bruise. It's got lidocaine for pain control. But mostly what you're doing is you're creating the space between the skin and the muscle as fluid where the fat lives. So you're kind of creating a safe space to do liposuction. And what the ultrasound goes in and does is the ultrasound uses tiny bubbles in that fluid to burst and release the fat so the fat becomes sort of almost like the fat is swimming in that fluid, now it's loose. So Vaser doesn't remove anything by itself, it just kind of prepares the area. And then you do the liposuction. And then after that, if you want to use Body Tight or Renuvion or some other skin tightening, that's the last step. So Vaser's been around. I think though that there was some, I don't, 
I'll give you a story about this. This is actually a true story. This happened when I first got Baser. I, I was sitting in the surgery lounge, and one of the other surgeons came in. He said, "Oh, I think you'll, you'll, it was a tremendous waste of money for me. I think you'll, you won't. I think you'll be happy to get rid of it." And I mean, I, the the reason he was saying that is if you don't know how to use it, or if you don't know the way, you know, there's different settings. If you don't know how to harness the what it can do, yeah, it is a waste of money. Just having the device isn't going to do anything. Yeah. You need to know how to use it. You need to know how to match it with the, the right patient or right liposuction cases. Okay. It's just a toy. I, it, 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 like you could, like every doctor can have the machine. It's just how who can actually yeah. master the art of using it. That's, yeah, what I what I tell people. Yeah, exactly. I tell patients that, you know don't pick your surgeon based on the toys that they have. Pick them based on the results that they can show. And I'll tell patients, look, if you have a provider that's getting great results without Vaser, good, good. Go, you know that's. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fine. You know, it's just for me, it gives me, I've used all the devices. And for me personally, it just gives me the most predictable and, and, and reproducible results. And it's what all my mentors in South America used. So, You know why I have these lives, by the way? Because I, I love dermatology and I love skin and I love, I think I should have been a doctor in another life. I just didn't know what, what college. So I realized that if I have a platform this big, it just can't be so about like fashion and I, I'm a, I was a banker all my life. Right. As you know, you guys are very far away. The top best surgeons are in LA. And and when clients from Saudi Arabia want to come, you guys are very booked one year in advance. Yeah, so yeah. I also feel that the timing that patients have with doctors like yourself that are very busy is not very long. So I feel through my lives, they get to know each doctor's views, their opinion. And they see yeah. the chemistry. Like now I have friends texting me. They're like, you know, that doctor, I felt I kind of felt a connection with. You know, no, yeah, really. yeah. And I think it's so nice to actually get to know the real person behind the, you know, that. Instagram no, 100%. Well, you know, this is, but this is the funny thing about social media because, you know, I tell patients, when I see patients now in the office, and I actually try to set aside a good amount of time for everyone. I mean, I know the appointment wait is long, but if you're, if you're coming in and you're spending the money, like I don't want, I, I want to have a lot of face-to-face -face time with each patient. But what's amazing, social media has really changed things entirely because, you know, I tell people from the patient side, it does two things for you that we didn't have before. And one of them is you see on a week to week basis what someone does, because it used to be you go to a website and on a website, everyone's the master of everything. I do facelifts, brow lifts, tummy, yeah. I do everything. You know, just click up here. I, I feel like yeah. now, but 10 years ago, if you spoke to anyone, he's like, he does very good nose jobs and he does lipo and he does this. Now yeah. you hear, he is the best doctor for boobs and breasts. He's the best right. doctor for a nose job. And I'm loving that doctors are actually specializing in what they love. Yeah, you know? people, yeah people kind of get really sort of tuned into one area and, and perfect that trade. And, and the other thing that social media does is people come in with, they're, they're more familiar with their provider. They've been, if they've been watching you on social media and if you're active on social media and, and, and you're not like some fake person on your social media, it's actually you yeah. and you're just being normal. People come in and they're more, they, they feel more comfortable right away because let's be, let's be honest, I mean, there's nothing comfortable about going to a stranger and taking off your clothes and saying, hey, I don't like this about my body. That's not a comfortable thing. So social media has really made that easier in terms of getting that comfort level quicker with your patients. And I've been noticing that you said in one of your interviews as well that uh, social media has become the new, uh, the influencer and certain looks, and the filters have become the new, uh, what people want to achieve. How do you manage yeah. unrealistic expectation? Like when someone comes to you, I want to look like Kim Kardashian, I want to look like J-Lo, and it's impossible. Yeah. What do you say? Uh, so, 
I think the best way, I mean, there's a very simple way that I'll say no to patients. And there's, there's three categories. And what I tell people is either, either the procedure is unsafe, meaning there's, they're too high of a risk for one reason or another, maybe it's a health reason. The second reason is I'll say the timing isn't right. Someone's pregnant or someone's actively losing weight. I'll say, you know, the timing isn't right, we need to wait. And the third thing, which is kind of specific what you're saying, what I'll tell people is I just don't think I can meet your expectations. And it's that simple. And, I, and I'll just tell someone I don't want to steal your money. I would just be taking your money and you'd be unhappy and then you'd be mad at me and then no one wins. So I'm not a thief. So I, and, and I think people appreciate that level of candor. If we dive deeper and they really kind of are showing me some influencer pictures, you know, I'll point out that everyone's anatomy is different. I'll point out that a lot of times these images are, are altered. Um, they're not, they're not actually reflective of what someone looks like in real life or, or a normal yeah. human anatomy is. And, and I think my, my, my feeling is most patients are pretty receptive to that. They understand. They may come in with certain hopes and sometimes I have to kind of pull them back a little bit because managing expectations is a huge part of what we do. Huge part. And, and what I love that you said as well, that like when you do lipo and you do such kind of work, you always expect a healthy lifestyle. You can't just do yeah. lipo and then expect she can't be thin overnight if she does me right and go to the gym. Yeah. No, no question. I mean, I think, listen, I'm a, I'm, I'm a healthy person. I'm, I'm an active person. And I think it's important that Yeah, you that can edit don't... it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I don't want people, it's not like- Well, you live in LA. <laughs> yeah. How so can you not be? You have to be a little bit, but I, but I still think that it's, it's something where I don't want people to think these are shortcuts and it's a replacement for a healthy life. And the, and the beauty of the technique is that it really works well in concert with a healthy life. Meaning, the you know, I've seen some patients who look great in three months, and then they really, you know, they've invested in themselves. They've paid the money for the surgery. They've invested all the time recovery. And they're so motivated that when I see them at six months, it's like, wow. I mean, and that's a lot of the work they've done. And the results should work in concert with that. The healthier you are, the better the result is going to look. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, breasts. Uh, you talked about the, the silicone, saline, and there's also fat. You said yeah. saline is cheaper than, uh, in one of your, I, I've been watching all your YouTube, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to, you know, honestly, when I have an interview, I like to have the right questions, not just shallow questions, but I like to get into detail. Pretty no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so you said saline is much cheaper than silicone, but they both flow well in the body. Uh, how do you decide which, decide which patient takes silico has silicone, saline, or fat? So what I would tell like, you is... So first of all, fat I almost never use because it's not as reliable or predictable. It just isn't. There's, there's a lot of it that gets reabsorbed. It has a tendency to get nodular. It's good for sort of focal areas, like let's say you're doing an implant or there's just a small area they want to sort of address in your cleavage, you can potentially use fat. But it's as a global way of augmentation, it's just not predictable or reliable. The times I'll use fat is when someone's coming in for liposuction and it's like, hey, since we have the fat, instead of throwing it away, can we try to maybe give me a little bit, maybe a cup size or less in the breast, fine. But if they're coming in and their reason for coming in is breast augmentation, I wouldn't use fat in most cases. What about a lift? What if they want to lift and that's their main concern and they just want to fill? Would you do that or no? Uh, even then, probably not because it's not, it's just not predictable. And I think a lot of times they're disappointed and it's more expensive because I got to do lipo as well. And they have the recovery from the lipo as well. So unless they're interested in liposuction, I'm not doing it. Either. It's not a point. And yeah. does, does, and the, then, does it get, I heard the fat also after a while starts to get, it shrinks, right? It, well, some of it will dissolve right off the bat. So some will dissolve over the course of the first four to six weeks and some of it will remain. The other problem that can happen in the breast, and this can happen anywhere, but the fat can calcify, it's called fat necrosis, and you feel it as like a hard nodule in the breast. 
And that's problematic because there's no way to address that without going back in there and physically removing it. Physically. So, so you're not that, fat on as a breast. I'm not a huge fan of just because the, the what we have available today just does not make it reliable. You can sometimes get good results, but it's it's a little bit of a risk. You're rolling the dice a little bit. And most people don't want to roll the dice when they're talking about a result that they want. As far as saline or silicone, 95% of the time nowadays we're using silicone. Um, they feel more natural. They, they move more naturally. They don't ripple. Saline tends to ripple, especially if someone has really thin skin. You can kind of feel it. It's essentially a bag of salt water. So you can feel the difference between a bag of fluid and a bag of a very cohesive gel. So most of the time we're using silicone. I think saline, there, you know, the, the times I've used it are people that have a lot of breast tissue covering the area. So you're not really feeling the implant because there's still plenty of coverage. Mm -hmm. There are people that just have a personal preference. They just have concerns about silicone. Um, you know, I'll counsel them about the safety of it, but if, you know, at the end of the day, it's their body, their choice. And if they're just like, no, I want saline, that's fine. And you usually do the incision from the muscle or below? What do you prefer? So there's, there's, there's three different incisions I've used. There's the armpit, areola, and under the breast. The gold standard is pretty much under the breast because it's the cleanest approach. You don't cut through the breast tissue. The incidence, we, we do believe that the incidence of capsular contracture is the lowest in that area. Um, it's a very well-concealed scar if you do it right. It's right in the crease or even just above the crease. So in the nude, if you're looking in the mirror, you're not going to see it. In clothing, you won't see it. Um, so that's probably the gold standard. And it generally is only about three, three and a half centimeters. So it's not a very big incision. Not a big incision. Yeah. What about breast lifts? Uh, do you have to cut? Do you have to cut the nipple out? It's more of a complicated procedure. Yeah, a it's, women complain, complain about scarring after. Yeah. What, what this is what I this is the speech I give patients. You know, if you look at the at the satisfaction scores for breast lift surgery, it's like ninety five percent. So and the, and I guarantee you, most of these women don't come in excited about having scars. So what that tells me is once they're healed, they forgive the scars because they're just happy with the new position yeah. shape of the breast. Now related to the scars, there's different scar patterns. There's a crescent lift, which is tiny. It's just an incision around the areola. That's minimal lift. There's the donut, which is the cut around the areola. That's good for about one to two centimeters. It's probably one of the most misused procedures. Some people will try to do a lift just with that. And what happens with time is the areola is just gonna stretch out. It doesn't end up looking good. It's the wrong procedure if you need a lot of lift. The next one is the lollipop, which is the circle and the line straight down. And the last one is the anchor which is the circle, line straight down, and the line underneath. The, the incision is dependent on how much extra skin you have to remove. The more, of a, the more of a lift you need, the more centimeters of lift you need to move the nipple to a new position or remove skin, then the more of an incision you need. There's just no way to do it without that. Believe me, I wish there was. I, mean, no, I, I know nobody's thrilled with, with those incisions, but there, there's just no way around it right now. There's nothing you can do about fixing the whole... Uh how it looks, there will be some scarring. Well, yeah, there's always gonna be some scarring. The reality is though, most people, if you follow them out long enough, the scars, a lot of those scars end up being, you know, will dis and not, not disappear entirely, but will fade considerably. And if you do good scar care, there's ways to make most of those scars become, you know, not as visible as people think. Um, but it is something I tell people, you have to be okay with the scars. If you're not okay with scars, don't do the surgery, that's fine. And okay. don't fall for these, there's these claims from people being like, oh, scarless breast lift, or don't fall for that. Those things don't work. A lot of them are gimmicks. There are incisions that are involved, or they're not giving someone the lift that they really need. So people, the first step they have to kind of come, at, come to peace with is incisions, is scars. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just a necessary step. 
it's the same thing with the mummy makeover, of course. Yeah, regardless absolutely. If or uh, regardless if it's, if it's a mini or a full tummy. Uh, sorry, a mini. Uh, you call a it a mini tummy. or a full tummy tuck. Yeah. yeah, same thing. I mean, they have to be okay with scars. I mean, if you're not okay with scars, that's fine. I, I don't ever tell people, oh, don't worry about the scar. No, I say, listen, you're going to have a scar. Now, there are things we can do, lasers, microneedling. There's a lot of different options to make the scar look better over time. But you have to be, you have to know, just go into it knowing you're going to have a scar. And regarding the, the mini mummy, uh, mummy makeover, is the scar as big as the, as the main one? Or it's, it doesn't really make a huge difference? It, it, will, it will be. A lot of times it's longer than people think. But it is still generally shorter than what a full tummy tuck scar is. The, the big thing with doing a mini is that you don't make the incision around the belly button. So your belly button is, more, is similar to what it was before your surgery. There's no cut around it. It may look a little bit different, but it's still the same belly button. Um, so that's a big thing. The recovery is generally easier because you're not suturing the full length of the muscle with the mini. It's just from the lower. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, most people are really not candidates for it. I mean, most people really, they're, they're going to be better served for the tummy tuck, a full tummy tuck. And the way I explain this is this, the, the, the mini tummy tuck just addresses skin below the belly button. That's it. It's not going to address anything above the belly button. Now, if you're talking about a mommy makeover, when you get pregnant, as you know, the skin is expanding both above and below the belly button. It's not just below. So you have, you know, in almost all cases, they have some laxity above. So to really address that, you need a full tummy tuck. Uh, doctor, look, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, mommy makeovers from friends that have done it recently. Their belly button have ch has changed drastically. And some yeah. have had really bad, uh, like, to be honest, the outcome of the belly button is like very weird, like it's disappeared. Can you yeah. fix such mistakes and um, like if somebody can? Yes. I was actually asking that question, by the way. Yeah, it, it can be done. It depends. It's a case by case basis. You know, what's interesting, I'll tell you in, in Colombia, what some people do, and this would never work here, but when they do the, they do, they do it in two stages. So they do a tummy tuck and they cut the belly button out completely. And then they go back two weeks later and make a new belly button. That they, no one, they, they, they yeah. actually, and so I, yeah. And so I've actually done that with a patient who had a comp, she had a complication. She came to me, she had lost her belly button basically from a complication. And so I basically removed it and then I made her a new one. So that's doable. You can create a new one. Now, if someone has a belly button, they don't like the way it looks. Sometimes there are things you can do. It really depends on the case. But I mean, the best thing is just to get it right the first time, I, you know, with tummy tucks and everyone talks about this, but I don't think people really grasp it. There are three things which are crucial to a tummy tuck. The, low, the incision that can be covered with the two piece. It needs to be able to be, it needs to have a low incision. Um, contours is a huge thing. People talk about it, but they don't do it. If you don't create the contours, it looks flat. Because if you think about it, if you take something that has a crevice and then you pull it tight, it becomes flat. And that's what happens with the old tummy tucks. They would just pull it down and it becomes flat. It looks like Madame Tussauds wax museum. It doesn't look real. So contours are important, and the belly button is crucial. What I've kind of learned, for me personally, I don't do them the same every time. It's different, because it, there's a lot of factors that come into play. How thick the skin flap is, how big their belly button is, how big they are, where their belly button is located. There's a lot of different factors that do it differently. But the end goal is the same. You want it to be an in, basically, as, as three-dimensional as possible, so it goes deep, and you want the incisions to be covered. So. Okay. But there are, you know, I'll tell you a secret. I see this happen a lot. You know when you see tummy tucks that end up with like the slit? That like doesn't yeah. look like a belly button? It looks so it the reason like a, there's nothing. It's like just a dot. Yeah. And well, there's that or there's like a slit. And, and, you know, one of the things, for example, I, I learned that, that happened. And I learned this just from experience of not, maybe not getting it right and fine tuning. And you're always learning. 
when we do our closures, patients are sitting up, they're flexed. So this is their upper body, this is their legs, right? And you make a belly button. If you make that a circle, guess what happens when they stand up, when they stretch out? That circle gets stretched. So you, know, you, so you have to anticipate these changes, so how they're going to be when they stand up and those things to get a good result. Um, okay, this is regarding the belly button. Uh, I know you're going to debate soon. Yes, yes. You, you've been there before, right? Like yeah, yeah. Pre-COVID. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I've been there a few times. I have, uh, I'm, I'm operating actually, I think I'm actually, operating. Uh, you know Caroline Stanbury? Yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> she is. Are you going again to the same place? To do uh -huh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. How many times a year? Because I don't know. Everybody's going to ask me. How many times a so year? So typically, yeah. Usually, it's I try to go every three months. Um, sometimes it spaces out a little bit longer. But what I do is when I go there, I operate at the beginning of the week. So this time I'm going, I think I have four surgeries right at the beginning of the week. And then I see patients after that. And then I see my follow-ups before I leave. And I have a team, there's a team there that I meet with that we discuss follow-up care and, and the basics of, you know, because as long as I know the people who are going to be seeing the patients when I'm gone, they should get good follow-up. That's okay. A lot of my patients here in LA travel from out of town, so they're only here a week and then they go back somewhere. So we have a good system so that they get good follow-up even when I'm gone. Um, but I try to go every three months. Sometimes it goes a little long enough, for example, because I was going to go around New Year's, but they were like, no one's going to be here New Year's. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, so I'm pushing that one back, I think, to April. So, but yeah, I'm going this, it's next week. I leave next Wednesday. So I leave Yeah, I know, I saw. I saw you put the Emirates there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And you're going My during the expo, flight. which is nice. But I wanted to yeah. ask you, what about, like, you know, a lot of doctors have the fear of going to another country to do a surgery because of, like, you're probably more comfortable with your team in the States. Have you, right. have you like, I'm going to ask you this question because everybody's going to ask mm -hmm. me after. Um, do you feel comfortable with the team you have there for anesthesia, the team you're yeah. with? Would you bring people? Yeah, I, no, I, 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 so I went out there first, but I went out there twice before operating. Because I, for that very reason, I wanted to make sure that we had a good setup. I wanted to make sure the OR had everything I needed. The staff was fine. I wanted I, those. I had to make sure that was okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't do this. It, yeah. does, it doesn't make sense. Like I don't need to go there. I, I'm busy enough here. But it was something where there was a need, and, and then when I talked to people and, and, and I met with them and I saw the facility, everything was what I what I wanted it to be. Okay. It was very comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't do it otherwise. And I, that's why I went there a few times. In fact, the first time I went there, I flew to Dubai for 24 hours and then I came right back, which was oh my painful. God. But yeah, but it was, I mean, I just, I had to go there and see certain things to make sure everything was. But to be honest, it really is a great idea that you come to our part of the world for us to come all the way there and pay yeah. accommodation and it's a Katana hotel. That's like uh, an arm and a leg. Yeah, it's a lot. Far, honestly. So it's nice to know that you're close by because every time I have lives, a lot of the people are. But it's too far. I'm going right. to have to recover in a hotel or an apartment I rent. And so yeah. honestly, the fact that you come is just amazing. Yeah, it, makes it, it certainly makes it easier. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's fun for me too. You know, it's good to, to get away from here. And I, I really enjoy traveling and seeing other cultures. And I, I love you it. You to Saudi Arabia as well. I know. I've actually heard really good things. So we I have Formula of... One in December. And I know. I know that's exactly what someone was telling me about. Actually, one of my friends invited me to it, but there was the, and it's funny because usually when I go, I try to give myself a few days before and a few days after, so I have a little bit of time to go yeah. you know, around regionally. This time, I'm pretty much spending the whole time in Dubai, but but definitely in future, I'm going to try to space out some other trips. In the you Middle have East. to come to Al-Ala, which is a, a 
Medina al Have you heard of it? It's like this old, this really nice area. And honestly, Saudi has really become a, the nicest tourist hub, I think, in the Gulf. And it's yeah. very authentic. So I think it's time for for you to visit us soon. Yeah. <laughs> <That sounds laughs> so, you know, it's actually the biggest market in the Middle East, by the way. Oh, I know. I, when I was when I was at Johns Hopkins, there was a lot of Saudis that would come to Johns Hopkins. Yeah. A lot. We always had we had this separate wing. That was, oh, I swear to God, it was always the VIPs coming. Yeah, it was these huge entourages. I mean, they come with 40 or 50 people, their own doctor. Yeah, all these crazy. But um, yeah, no, I know. It's, there's some, certainly some nice areas there that I need to check out. It's, it's on my list. It's on my list. Yeah, I should define some time. Yeah. Um, another question I wanted to ask you. You talked about Sculptra injections. Tell me about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, generally what we talk, so Sculptra was initially designed for the face. So it was initially, it's something that's meant to stimulate your own body's collagen production. It's not a filler. It's not like Juvederm, which is a filler, which just goes in, you know exactly how much volume you're getting. When you inject Sculptra, there's gonna be an immediate result, but that's mostly just fluid, and that dissolves, but over time it stimulates collagen. And so its initial application was in the face. And then what, what people realized is for those patients who needed something subtle, like in the butt or the hips, where there's just a little bit of a deficiency and they didn't have fat, they didn't have enough fat or they didn't want to do that kind of surgery. Sculpture can be an option. Um, the disadvantages are, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's not cheap because you need to use a lot of it. And it's, you know, the result is more on the subtle side, but it can't, it'll be a result that you can have for many, many years. Um, so for some fat. people, it's your, it's what's that? It removes fat from certain areas? No, scul sculpture is to fill. So sculpture will literally, if you have, I should say, you do that injection and it'll fill that area. So it's it's meant to fill things. It's not meant to remove fat. Okay, uh, what do you think of Salafina, the cellulite new way of getting rid of the? Yeah, well, we have we have something new in the states now called Quo, which is actually injectable to for cellulite, which is kind of an exciting thing which right? people are trying out. It's called Quo. It's Q W O Quo. So it's an okay. injectable to, for cellulite. So you come in, you get injections, and then you go, Selfina is the older FDA-approved method. And basically, what cellulite is, is there's little bands under the skin which are tethering the skin down, so it gives it that dimple. And, what's, and so Selfina literally is, it applies suction to the skin, and then a blade goes in and just cuts the band. So it can be effective. It's, it's painful, and there's a fair bit of recovery involved. People get pretty bruised and have discomfort for several weeks. But it can be effective. I mean, it's one of the only, it's it's really the only FDA approved one before Quo. So you know, it's it's not unreasonable. I don't think it ever gets everyone to be completely smooth. But if they have significant cellulite, it can be it can certainly have benefits. What about Reg? Someone told me to ask you about Reginera. Reginera. Yeah. What is that? I don't think I know that one. I don't know. We'll have we'll to we'll have to get we'll have to get back to them on that. <laughs> I don't know. But Quo is good. You think you, you would? Yeah. Recommend I, I think you know, there's there've been people that have good have, have had good responses to it. Again, it does come down to there's usually a lot of bruising and discomfort for a while. The recovery is not trivial. People need to know that. If you're going to be in a bathing suit in a week or two, don't do it because you're going to be bruised. If you have a good amount of time to kind of hide that, it's not a, it's it's a reasonable thing. It's exciting because it's something that doesn't require you know any sort of incision and sort of it doesn't even require a procedure room. You just kind of can get it done in an yeah. office. You know, our part of the world, we don't walk a lot. There's not a lot of walking. And the humidity yeah. 
and the food doesn't really help. Like you, find, I, I always say this to Arabs. We eat a lot of rice and carbs and a lot of meat. Okay, yeah. Even though I'm not a big eater, I'm not a big meat eater, and I don't eat a lot of rice, but in general, I'm trying to say our lifestyle has to be, for you to work out, you need to go to the gym. You don't walk anywhere. So right. Middle Eastern women, I find their faces, they don't age very badly, to be very honest. Yeah. But their bodies change drastically from the 20s to the 40s if you don't really work out. Or right. Yeah. And I'm telling you this from experience. I'm someone that works out all my life. There is a difference between my, my body and my early 30s and like now at 38. So yeah. Definitely, I'm um, like I'm a candidate, I feel now, you know, I'm, I look back and I'm like, I just want to go back to that. You know, I just don't, I don't, I don't like extreme change. I'm just right. going, going back to how um, you, you originally looked, you know, to feel more comfortable. And, and this question, yeah. it comes always, a lot of people talk about the ribs, you know, like how they want this whole very narrow rib. Do you, do you, do you believe in removing a rib? I, I don't. No, I, I think that usually, I mean, I think it's rarely something that someone needs to do. I mean, there's an incision involved. I'm not a big fan of that, and it does have risks to it as well. I think that when it, when it comes to the waist, so there's, there's five things that tell you what your waist is going to be. The width of your rib cage, the width of your pelvic bones, the distance between the ribs and the pelvic bones, your subcutaneous fat, and then the fat inside your body. But there's another thing. And, I, and this one, this is something that we talk about, but, but I remember, I remember I had a patient who's coming to my office who's very famous and I knew her from pictures and whatever. And she, in the picture, she's very curvy and she has this tiny waist. And then she came in, she was coming in for a revision consult. And when I measured her, her waist was actually not that small. And that proved, and that showed me that a lot of times what it is, is when the, when the human eye looks at the waist, it's comparing the waist to the hips. If you just look at a waist, you don't know how big it is. You look at waist, and you're looking at the waist relative to the hips. And generally speaking, the feminine ratio is about 0 0.7. 0 0.7 or even smaller. Some people want it even smaller. They want a really tiny waist. So what that means is one other way to make the waist smaller is to build out the hips a little bit. And that creates that, that illusion of the, the waist coming in because the hips are up. Nothing, I'm not talking about Kardashian dramatic, but something that, but, you know, you know just, a lot of people compare that to, you know, Dita Von Teese, you know, that, like, yes. left. Oh, yeah, of course. I it, find yeah. that a bit extreme. Uh, is this a yeah. normal, is this normal? No, I don't think most people, yeah, most people aren't looking for that, something that exaggerated. I, I had, I've had a few patients who are like that, and I don't, to be honest, I don't even, those aren't ones that I sort of put out there in terms of social media, not because it's not a criticism of them, that's fine. But it's 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 more a reflection that most people are interested in a little more of a natural aesthetic, True. Um, and and you can do that building out the hips in a way that still looks natural and not artificial. It just gives a little bit of that feminine hourglass figure. Uh, question: uh, How long, uh, for example, for any woman to do like if, if you have a client that's losing a lot of weight, at what percentage would you would you, t would you tell her come to me for me to do liposuction for you? Uh, after what point? Uh, reaching her mid goal or her full goal? So generally speaking, ideally, if someone's losing a lot of weight, you know, a lot of weight being like 30, 40, 50 pounds, what I'm trying to, what I tell them is try to wait till you get to about your goal weight, because then you want to wait at least six months because you want to have, give the skin a chance to come down first before you go to an operating room. Okay. I, you know, I, 30, a BMI of 30 to 32 is kind of the, the great, it's kind of, yeah, well, BMI is the, it's called the body mass index. Body mass if you want, yeah, if you go on the internet, it's easy to get a body mass index calculator, but, but basically it just looks at your height and weight. It's a guideline, it's not 100%, but I generally use that and, and try to get people at least in the realm of 30 to 32 before we do anything. 
So, you know, that, that's kind of where we're at. Now, sometimes there'll be someone who has a BMI of 33 and just saw a patient in the day that was like that. Where there's, it's just because of her body makeup that she's actually a good, you know, still a good candidate even at 33 or 34. So it depends, but generally, if you, someone's losing weight, lose it all first, and then be and be stable at that weight, and then let's talk. Okay. Another thing, uh, women that are pregnant, after how many months would you like to see them? Like uh, a year, eight months, six months? What's a comfortable time for you to do a boob lift or a tummy tuck or anything? I, I think the, generally the, it's possible. It depends on if they're breastfeeding. If they're breastfeeding, that, that's going to push things back further. But but I you know I think a safe or a conservative way to say it is six months from when they're done breastfeeding, or at least six months from their or from their childbirth. So if they didn't breastfeed, at least six months and a stable weight, meaning their weight is kind of settled it's not still going down or still changing some people will say longer but i think for me six months is, is tradition been okay so i'll see some patients who are you know their their child is a year old they're, they're just about to finish breastfeeding and they'll see me because we know we have a little bit of a a gap between anyway um so you know that's okay. that's my time frame Another thing in one of your interviews, you said that you don't like to do lipo in the front of the thigh and in between or the back, I think, of the thigh. Why is that? Yeah. So the, the front and the back of the thigh is tricky. You can do it in rare situations, but the problem is it's, it has a high incidence of irregularities. So people think they have a lot of fat in the front and the back of the thigh. They don't. A lot of that's skin and muscle tone. So there's not a huge layer of fat, which means, you know, if you're not extremely precise, you're going to have an irregularity. It's just common. The inner and the outer thighs are still targets, but the, the front and back, it's, it's, it's a unique case where I'll do those areas. It's someone who's just got a lot of fat all over the place, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not generally something I recommend for people. You do thigh lifts as well? Mm -hmm. how, yeah. how, how is that for you? I have a friend, for example, really thinking of that, and she's saying that finding the right doctor is very hard because it's a very big incision. Uh, yeah, is it, it like is. sunny tuck or is it, is it harder? It's similar. I wouldn't say it's harder. It's very similar. It's a little bit different. Um, generally, the incisions will depend on the degree of lift. For most people, for example, massive weight loss patients, you're talking about an incision that goes just above the knee and the inside of the thigh, um, and then goes all the way up to the groin, and sometimes even extends into the groin crease, almost like a hockey stick or a little bit of like an L shape. Um, but it's a very powerful procedure for people that have just a lot of that loose skin flopping around. But again, it's something that you know, I tell people the scars, I mean, you got to know it's going to come, you know, if it's someone that likes to wear shorts or whatever, or wants to be able to wear shorts, I'm like, that's fine, but just know that there's, there may be a scar there. It usually heals pretty well, it heals better than the unloved scar, in my opinion, in most cases, but it's still there. Okay. So basically, that's, uh, that, these are all the questions I have. I think, okay. you know, honestly, like, um, I love asking, you know, I've been always, I've been posting a lot of things about face because everybody's been asking me about face. And then yeah. I was like, everybody started telling me, you're not putting anything about body. And I'm like, okay, yeah. sure, I'm going to start. And yeah. um, I've been following you for quite some time. And I keep, I keep looking at your pictures. And, and then my friend sent me a picture of what you did this week. And I've been, we've been sending each other, like, wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> and I, I emailed your team. And they were like, the 30th. I'm like, 30th is fine. I deliver on the 16th, so I have time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Perfect. So, Supposedly, this is my last slide, but I'm supposed to deliver naturally, so I just, um, but I like to be induced, so, because I like to be yeah. prepared for everything. So well, I'm I, really I, happy. 
Well, good. Well, I wish you the best. I mean, I mean, it's it's incredible. I can't believe you're 35 weeks. You don't look. I mean, you. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, but trust me, actually, this is my second pregnancy. I'm having. I have a boy, and I'm having another boy. And this yeah. pregnancy, I've gained so much weight that I've actually told my husband I haven't shared my pregnancy on social media for almost nine months, eight yeah. months and a half, because I have so much body hate, which I'm going to be very honest about. Yeah. Because honestly, I've never been big. In, in my yeah. life, and this is uh, just like the biggest I've been. It's just really yeah. hard to accept, you know what I mean? To just change, especially that I'm pregnant in the summer. <laughs> so yeah. oh, it was gosh. hard to be pregnant in the summer yeah. other than the winter, you know? Well, so I mean, I each, each pregnancy, it's, it's crazy. Even with a given woman who has multiple pregnancies, each one can be very unique in terms of its effect on the body, in terms true. of how the body changes with it. and. You know, I think at the end of the day, and you know this, I mean, it's truly a blessing. You're bringing life into it the is, world. It is, yeah. But I got COVID. I got COVID in my third month. Then I got bleeding. And oh, then I gosh. was in the restaurant. So this pregnancy was very weird for me. Also with the whole situation of, um, you know, the COVID thing and being extra careful. Yeah. And it just was not the smoothest. You know what I mean? Yeah. But let's yeah. hope it's... Do you have any kids, by the way? I do not. I just have nephews and nieces. So I'm oh, okay. not, not just yet. But, okay. Yeah, so it's, at some point, though, at some point, we're, that, that's the plan. We'll see. So. By the way, I, I wanted to ask you, Galanis is Greek or uh, Italian? Yes, I'm, I'm Greek. Yeah. Oh, nice. All my, all my grandparents were from Greece. So. And do they all speak, you speak Greek or? Uh, my parents speak it. Mine is not so great, but I'm trying to, I am, when, when I'm in Greece, it comes back a little bit. I understand a little bit better. I need to be around it. I told my mom, I said, listen, because I try to go to Greece every summer now. I couldn't go this past summer. I said, listen, between now and next summer, I promise I'll get my Greek better. We'll talk more in Greek on the phone. So that, you know, that, that'll make her happy, I think. So, you know, but, honestly, yeah. Greece is like my summer destination every year. This is the only, this COVID has been the only year I haven't gone to Greece, 2020. Yeah. And uh, we go to Greece every single year. And to me, honestly, if I want to own a home, it would be in Greece. That's how much which, I love it. Which part? Where do you like to go? Uh, every favorite? year. I go to Mykonos since I was like, of course, uh, pre all the time. But we go to every yeah. year we go to a different island. We've been to Crete, Rhodes, uh, all over. We go to different areas. Do you like areas. Paros? Go to Paros. If you Paros, like, you I've go. been. I've been to Paris and Antiparos and yeah. all around. So you can't imagine how much also what I love is that the Greek culture is very similar to the Arab culture. Yeah. You cannot imagine the extent of similarity uh, between the people. And, and when I went to college, I had a lot of Greek friends. Yeah. So uh, to me, they're like, you know, I felt like they were like, it was like home, you know? <laughs> That's great. That's interesting. So uh, it's nice to see someone with a, even when I was in college, when you meet people that are American with a Greek origin or Italian origin, there's so much yeah. uh, similarity, that Latin thing going, Greeks right. are not, yes, so, something close, you know? I get that. No, I can see that for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're regionally, we're very close. I mean, geographically. The warmth. There's a lot of uh, warmth. And the food is very similar. Oh, God, I can't wait. Yeah, the food is my... I love I can't go, When I go to Greece, I gain so much weight. So it's just like uh, <laughs> horrible. I eat so well when I go there. It's so good. I, I don't believe you because look at you. You're like always... I Listen, I, but I do. I really do. I just have a metabolism that goes crazy. But I try to stay active to try to balance it as best I can. But believe me, I'm hiding things under here right now. No, trust yeah. me, you're fine. I was, I always say I had a killer metabolism till I was 33, and that's why I eat everything. And now I've never dieted, and now that I hit 38, I just have to like watch everything, which is yeah, so hard to do. I never, that's why I'm coming to you in Bay. You're making my life easier now. <laughs> I'll be ready for you. I'll be ready for you. Well, just wait, you know, for me, when I got in my 40s, it was the same thing. It used to be I could just do something and my body would change in two weeks. Forget it. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, happen. It'll, it'll change for the bad way if I'm not careful. But 
Yeah. But you know, I'm so happy that you come to debate because like uh, my husband was like, you and your mommy makeover. He's like, you're gonna fly all the way to LA and you're gonna go there and stay for a month. Are you serious? And pay all this money, just go to the gym. I'm like, I can't go to the gym. I think I can't because you know, my husband's such a, he works out, he's very yeah. clean. I'm like, I have to, I'm gonna have two kids. It's different, yeah. it's not the same. It's, it, if you need me to talk to him, I'll be happy to explain. Yeah. No, no, he, he, he has no choice. He has no choice. <laughs> I'm listen. I'm someone that's so pro plastic surgery in every way. I haven't done yeah. anything yet, but um, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, so, I'll be waiting for you. We'll be ready I hope for to you. see you in Dubai soon, regardless in general, and uh, I come visit. So that really would be great. And I, and I will. De I definitely have Saudi on my list, so we'll be in touch. About you that must too. visit us. Really, I will organize it. I would love that. Oh, great. Keep in touch, and it's so nice to have you on my live. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.